yeah, you mean I can get paid to go in and hang out with my best friends, play video games, like do all these things. And you know what? I'll be honest. That's exactly what I did for the first couple of years because I didn't know any better. Nobody grabbed a hold of me and said, hey, man, until one time uh, on a fire, one of the guys that I was with pulled me aside. I was like, what the hell was that? Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Firehouse Vigilance Weekly Scrap, it is number 58. Special guest tonight is Sean Duffy. He has been a student of this craft for the last 16 years, currently in the city of Venice in Florida. He is the co-founder of Build Your Culture, a topic I'm excited to jump into with him. He has developed courses such as Searchable versus Survivable, Educated Decision-Making on the Fire Ground, and Build Your Culture, Professionalism or Minimalism. I'm telling you, uh, put those titles on a poster and I am buying tickets to go to that conference. So, he has the paper, the instructor, the fire officer one, the live fire instructor. He has taught around the country at various conferences. He is an active fool, co-host, I'm getting there, I promise, of the Make Do Suburban Firefighter podcast and the Unlock Your Culture webcast. Uh, good Lord, my man, Sean Duffy. I try to condense people's bios, I really do, but you are single-handedly <laughs> trying to leave it better than you found it. And it's my pleasure to have you as the guest on Weekly Scrap number 58. Oh, thank you. It's uh, it's definitely a pleasure to be here, so I appreciate the invite. I'm really excited, man. This is going to gonna be fun. Uh, oh, yeah. It's going to be great. Everyone watching live, and they're logging in and getting in here. Everyone watching live, if you have questions for Sean or myself, please don't hesitate to send comments, questions, uh, whatever you got, so that we can field them and throw them back at you. Uh, did I miss anything in the bio, uh, anything you want to add? No, no, uh, you know, this month uh, marks 16 years for me in the fire service, and uh, man, it went by so quick, you know, so I'm having a blast and hope to have 16 or more good good years behind me as well. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. At least 32, is that what, is that what you're saying? You're committing to 32? Yeah, at least. At least, uh, at least. I'm, I'm having too much fun, man. I can't stop. Dude, when I started, I said I was going to go 38, and I don't know if I'll make it there, yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's a, that's a great goal. Um, so I always, I've been starting off with this recently and that is, uh, 2020 it's the craziness that is 2020. How's it affected the fire service and your neck of the woods? How has it affected you? And go ahead and I'll lead off with that. Oh man, it's, it's impacted me personally, just probably like much of anybody else would. Right. Um, everything kind of got really tight. There's not much to do. Um, fire service wise, I like to train. Um, I like to hang out with people that, that go to conferences and stuff too, just because I always have to be stimulated. Right. Um, and I like to learn new things. So that was the biggest thing for me. Um, aside from canceling a lot of teaching things with people I was looking forward to seeing, I couldn't go be a student anywhere. Right. Um, you know, and even, even inside our own firehouse, um, you know, training got shut down. Everything was very, very limited. So, uh, you kind of had this stagnant area where now everyone's starting to break out of it, got to shake off the rust and, and get back to it. And man, I'm excited about that because nobody likes to sit there and do nothing for a while. So no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And the more you like to do, the more, the worse it, it kind of punches you in the gut when you get shut down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. So I'm going to lead off right in uh, your wheelhouse, which is searchable versus survivable and why and when we search start off right there. See how deep we can go as we talk about search and decision-making. So I'll just let you run with it. Like you're teaching me a class. Perfect. So the, the title um, actually came about because I, th I think firefighters are smart people um, for, but for whatever reason, we tend to go down these, these paths that we're, we're led down and, and just kind of blindly follow them without really any 
real thought behind it. So over time, watching things unfold on, on the fire ground, uh, the term searchable versus survival came to me. And where that really was is it's terminology, right? Uh, I could say one thing to you, and it might mean something different to somebody else. Right on. So what, what we're really after, um, I don't care too much about uh, search profiling. I don't, I don't care about too much about the argument of tenable space or searchable space. We are after a search size up, right? Ooh, I uh, like search size up. I like that. Yeah, and I mean, it keeps it simple, right? It, it's very straightforward. This is what I'm here to do. So we do a 360 for the fire. I mean, that's that's pretty beat into our heads. But are we really doing a 360 for our uh, victims of that fire? Uh, where can we get in? How can we get in here now? And, uh, you know, I, I believe it was uh, Chief Isaacson that said, searchability is up to us. Survivability is up to God. Right on. And that's kind of that's kind of the whole premise behind it is uh, we, we got to stop writing them off before we even get in there and give them a chance. Dude, I love that. I love that. Uh, educated decision-making on the fire ground. So that's the name of the class, which is searchable versus survivable. Then the byline educated decision-making on the fire ground, the second half of the title of the class. And, and like I was talking to you before, I'm an outsider looking in cause I have not taken your class. Although I will catch it when I get a chance to catch it. It is more than just search technique. It's more than just, uh, you know, here's how to do a primary. Here's how to do a, a oriented search or here's VES. It's a mindset approach. Uh, almost about empowering the search before you ever hit the front door. So, Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, I think firefighters today have more information than we ever have before. You know, I mean, there's just incredible things happening. There's the UL studies that are coming out and and showing us more and more things that we weren't aware of. Um, There's things like firefighter rescue survey, uh, which is grabbing data for us, which is instrumental in what we do. I mean, we have to know where we're successful but we also have to know where we're not successful. So the whole educated decision-making is we need to start using facts instead of fear. You know, and, and a lot of times I feel that decisions are made because people aren't educated about that particular instance that's happening. Uh, maybe they don't take a smoke reading class. Maybe they're not good at building construction or fire behavior, whatever the case is. So it's easier for somebody who's uneducated in those aspects to take more of a safety-minded approach and not do anything sure. and say, well, the fire went out and everybody went home. So what what I'm after with the educated decision-making is, man, get in the books, read these studies, read these statistics that we're able to get through these surveys and understand where we need to do our first things, right? Why am I going in this window? Well, because you know, from 2200 to 0800, this is where victims are most likely to be found is in the bedrooms. So we're targeting the search and we can only do that because we're, we have the facts to back that up. Right. So that's the education part. Breaking so, down that data. Yeah, we have to, I think, you know, we're professionals, you know, whether you're a career volunteer, paid on call, whatever your title is, we're still professionals. Right. And we have to show up and do all those things that we said we were going to do. And for some reason over time, I think we kind of fell to the wayside with that. And, uh, People became okay with that, and it's not okay. So we have to start kind of turning the ship in the other direction, so sure. to speak. No, absolutely. Now, uh, just picking your brain, and this is me going down rabbit holes, but do you feel like that was something that the fire service lost, or did the public's expectation ever change about what they expected? Uh, I don't think the public's expectations ever changed, right. to be honest. I think, I mean, realistically, they don't really know what we do, right? They 
they call 911 because their house is on fire or they have a medical emergency, whatever, and we show up and, and that's good for them because they don't know any better. Hey, we came like we said we were going to. Right. Outside of that, I think what what really happened is it just started getting more attention. You know, social media, everyone's got a camera phone now, like all these things that can capture what's actually happening on those fire grounds became less easy to hide it. Right. So now that people's attention is getting captured and the focus is on, hey, you're in the hot seat. You know, we see that all the time. Right. Fire happens and everyone's critiquing every aspect of that thing all over the Internet. And uh, so I, I don't think it's really the person who's having the emergency, the citizens that, that change that. I think we as a fire service has kind of brought that on ourselves by not upholding the standard that we said we were going to. Just kind of forgetting the oath almost in the, if you want to use that terminology. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was Chris Tobin, St. Louis, uh, fire, but he said, uh, the public's expectation is save my life, save my stuff. That was it. It doesn't get yep. any simpler. Save my life, save my stuff. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but, um, when I went through fire Academy, I was taught this acronym lip, right? Stands for life safety. Incident stabilization, property conservation. Those are our three main objectives. So life is number one, always has 100%. been, hasn't changed. So to me, I think that's that's what fires me up about this is if we can understand that and we write it in our textbook and we tell recruit firefighters this in training who have never even put bunker gear on before and they're learning to do what we what we do, those of us who are fortunate enough to get out there every day and do this, why are we not upholding what what's right there. I mean, we said it, right. We're teaching it. 100%. So if you're going to teach something then you got to do it, you know? No, absolutely. Now. And then of course I'm talking to you right now. I'm talking to Sean Duffy, the guy who teaches searchable for survival. So I live in an echo chamber with the people I talk to on a weekly basis. And that's, um, the guys who stay fired up, the guys who are into the job, the guys who are spreading, the guys who uphold the oath. And they are the guys who have been on the front lines of the battle of our safety versus them, you know, us versus them, who's more important. And you know, that where the fire service, I don't want to say as a whole lost its way, but it seemed to have lost its direction for, for a bit. And, and there's been this shift back to, Hey, we're here for them. And so do you feel like, uh, it's turned the corner on that? Do you, as you teach and things like that, do you feel like it's gotten better? Is it still the battle still waging? Where do you feel like it's at basically? Oh man. I mean, I think we still got a long way to go, but man, is it's changing so much and for the better. Um, you know, I just taught a search class in Ohio and, and every single person there was all about sets and reps. They nice. wanted to get in that building. They're tired man. we're, we're putting them through the works. You know, those fires were hot and, um, they didn't care. They didn't care cause they were there. I mean, we got guys from Texas. We had guys all over the country coming there for this two day search specific class so that they can get hands on because they want to be better. Right. Because when it, it happens, not if it happens, they want to be prepared, you know? And, and when we talk about like uh, successful rescues, that's not by accident, right? It's because uh, people are coming to these classes and they're getting that knowledge and they're being trained and they're putting that dedication and preparation into making sure that they're able to function in that capacity. So, um, the more and more I teach, the more and more I see younger generation, right? Which is awesome. Um, coming in, brand new firefighters, you know, less than a year on the job coming in because they're not getting something that they need and they want to have it and they're hungry. And I love that. And yeah. it's, 
I think it's going to take a huge turning point here soon. No, and it's hard not to be fired up when I can only imagine what it's like to teach people, uh, you know, like going to that this weekend and, and or whatever it was and, and teaching that and then seeing how fired up they are, seeing where they come from and all that and just feeding that into you as you as you spread it. And, and so uh, to me, that's exciting. Uh, oh, yeah. From all the teaching you've done, all the conferences you've taught at and things like that, what insight have you gained from the people you have met? And specifically, I want to address uh, other people who want to become instructors, who want to give back. So I, I find myself very fortunate because by no means am I an expert, right? I don't, I don't think that any of us in the fire service are experts. I think we, we strive to, to meet this high expectation knowing that we probably never reach there. And that's the whole purpose. To striving to improve. always get better and, and never feel like we're getting there. Yeah. But, yeah. Right. And that's, that's the point, right? So um, for me, the insight that I gain is I love going to other places. And the first question I ask them is one, who has searched before? Okay. And usually not a whole lot of people. All right. Who has actually put their hands on a victim in a fire and that number decreases. Right. But what you find out when you start talking and you start asking these questions is find out how they operate, um, which is very, very different depending on where you go. But the end result is all the same, right? They may operate differently, but their objective at the end of the day is to be successful. Um, and when they leave, I, I usually get one or two things. They leave a lecture. Hey, can I get a copy of that PowerPoint? Or, hey, can I get your information um, so that I can run some things by you and you know, they're being shown things that for whatever reason, that's the first time they've seen it. Right. You know, and, and that just goes to show you that things always change for us. So when they come to me and they say, I'm interested in becoming an instructor, what's my advice? Very first thing is be careful who you listen to. You know, lots of people want to be an instructor, but not all the time are they there for the right reason. You know, some people want to do it for money. Some people want to do it for the fame that comes along with it, uh, whatever the reason. But when you're an instructor, you got to understand that you are directly responsible for what you're teaching to those students. So when they go to a fire and they do something that you taught them, that's on you. So that there's, <laughs> there's a whole other side of it. Um, it's not just burning in a building and having fun and doing this. There, there's, you're responsible, right? right? And, and that's a huge undertaking. So I tell them just, Make sure you're ready for it, you know, and don't teach something that you haven't done and don't oh, teach something that you're not knowledgeable. In. No, hundred percent. And, and I think it was Ryan uh, down out of Texas and he posted that demand, make sure you're vetting these people that are trying to be instructors, man. Cause it's yeah. Howard, Howard chimes in as I speak and says, very true with an exclamation point. Uh, I'll catch you up here. Shane Bentley chimed in and said D and in all caps oath, we swore to uphold talking about what you were talking about earlier. And Gigi Galasso said, hi guys, good Friday the 13th. So catch you All right. some yep. comments. So oh. there, there's Shane. <laughs> Shane. Shane runs up, bears of the oath. So he, he's all about he upholding that. He understands the oath a little bit. He, he, might be he, he does. Yeah, Fair so enough. I'll give you this this piece of homework. So when you get done with this, look them up and look up their, uh, their values, like their mission statement. There's a whole <laughs> list of everything. You know, it's, you won't be disappointed. So nice. He's, okay. he, he's one of those pushing that, you know, we got to stay true to what we said we would. So Shane needs to be on the scrap is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that'd be a good thing. We'll make that happen. And Howard <laughs> is going to be on the scrap. I don't, 
in case you haven't noticed, I'm moving into my new house. And so my new office is boxes and chairs and, and boxes. So for everybody watching, I don't have my whiteboard to look when Howard's coming on, but it's coming up soon. So anyway, I'll throw that plug there in the middle of it. Uh, (laughs) That's a good show. He's a good, he's a great chief and, and an excellent fireman. So you won't be disappointed. Aaron Sparks says, stay in your wheelhouse when teaching. And I can't uh, argue with that whatsoever. Yeah, you know, like I said, there's. I'll, I'll throw it back to when I'm a student. I mean, you, you got to call BS when, when you see it, right? And uh, sometimes you're sitting there and, and you're listening to these people talk and they're, they're trying to convince you of why you should do something or why you should feel a certain way. And when you challenge them, there's really no depth to what their response is. It's kind of a canned answer. Sure. And one of the things that I hate can't stand it is well i don't really know the answer to that so uh i'll look it up and find it okay i get it we don't have the answers to everything but you should have a general idea of what you're talking about and and have a general direction to point somebody in um so saying i don't know to me that loses all credibility and and i don't i'm not even engaged anymore i can see that i can see although I'm, i'm a firm believer in as a leader being able to say i don't know is huge. So to me, it's, it's counterintuitive, but as an instructor, I definitely can see where you could lose buy-in, especially if that makes yeah, sense. And, what I'm saying. No, it makes perfect sense. And, and what I mean by that is none of us are perfect. Like I said, none of us are experts, right? There's a difference between getting a question that you're like, you know, I need to do some more research. Let, let, let me get back to you on that, you know, together versus I'm going to teach you a skill. Right. And then I ask you a question about that skill. Okay. And you say, I don't know. Right. So hopefully that clarifies. Because I said so. Yeah, exactly. No, and it's crazy because, uh, and, and, and I know the internet is, is to say the internet's changed to the fire services is an understatement of the century, but, uh, the internet's had massive impact on the world. But I point to our own department where we have these three piece Halligans that I was, we had them for 15 years of my career. And I couldn't tell you that, there was anything wrong with it. It was just a Halligan. Of course, now I know that that's not even a Halligan, not the point. Um, when we had some young guys go to Wichita hot and get taught forcible entry and learn what a real Halligan was and why it was tuned the way it was and, and everything about it, uh, and find out so much about it. They completely changed our department. Now we have actual, you know, uh, pro bars on our rigs and making such a difference on our forcible entry. And so, uh, Going to that and learning that and finding out those actual uh, subject matter experts and learning from them is such a huge deal. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, what was I say? Okay, we've got more people chiming in. Holy crap, we got a lot of them. Okay, Robert Ramirez said, looking good. I'm assuming he's talking about Mr. Duffy himself. <laughs> Ryan McCormack uh, said, keep it up, Sean, with three exclamation points. Pablo Alex Ginner, Vanessa Johnson. That's a long one. Oh, that's that's Pablo Jenner. That's my uh, that's my buddy, my partner in crime for uh, Build Your Culture. Okay, okay. Uh, Pablo Jenner. So I'll, I'll say it right. Always teach with passion. Passionate people will be invested in their message. In turn, your audience will be invested in you. I love that. I'm gonna like it. Yep. Yep. Mark, I saw. So what, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. One thing that Pablo says, and uh, you know, I'll just throw that out there: is he's like, you know, you could fake a lot of shit but you can't fake passion right on. So right on. Uh, Marco Isom said we should all strive to be life learning students first. That's the only way to get better at our trade. I like it. 
Robert Ramirez, looking real good. Sean Duffy, this is one of the most genuine and talented up-and-coming guys in the business. Solid guest, great info, congrats. Thank you. That wants to mean more than you, although you get the compliment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Robert Ramirez said, very proud of you, bro. And Eric Johnson said, nothing but good stuff, massive knowledge. So now you're caught up. Lots of compliments oh, coming, yeah. so I love to hear them, guys. Thank you for the comments. Uh, keep them coming. Keep the questions coming. Uh, now I want to switch gears on you. Yeah, let's do Although it. if you want to talk about more about search or survivability, it's completely up to you. But I'm switching gears on you and throwing uh, and talking about culture. Uh, yes, let's it, do that. It is a topic that I'm utterly fascinated with. Obviously, uh, you're fascinated with it since you have the, the podcast and the webcast. Uh, I know it's a buzzword, but it's a buzzword for a reason. So here comes the, one of the broadest questions I have ever thrown at someone in a weekly scrap. And I'm going to say, Sean Duffy, culture, go. It's defined by habits, and it's the personality of your organization. That's about the simplest I can sum it up. Defined by habits, and it is the personality of your organization. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I'm processing. And... <laughs> Here's why I say that. Okay. So every fire department out there in this country has a vision statement, or a mission statement, I should say, Right. And it usually goes something along the lines of what? To protect lives and save property or whatever else they want to put in there. So when I say culture is defined by habits, that right there should be a reminder for you every single day of the culture you should be instilling within your organization, right? That is your objective, right? Because vision takes commitment. So if I had this vision and I had enough to put it on a t-shirt or my trucks or, or whatever, then I have an obligation to make sure that every member inside that organization has the correct habits to make sure that that vision comes to fruition. And, you know, it, it's not, it shouldn't be designed and implemented by default. Right? It's very, very carefully planned and you got to have the right people in your organization for that. So to me with culture, uh, that all starts from day one in the interview process, Right there's three things that you should be really focused on and that's people purpose and performance. And why I say those are the three biggest ones is if I'm interviewing you, I'm not just interviewing you to put an ass in a seat and fill a vacancy. I'm also, if, if I'm, you know, doing this correct way, I'm interviewing you because I want to make sure that you have the same cultural mindset and values that I need within my organization, because eventually you're going to be a leader. You know, maybe, maybe not like an officer or whatever, but six months from now, a year from now, whoever or whatever, people are going to come in after you and then you're going to be in charge of teaching them. So if we don't have the right people, right, set in place for that, doesn't matter what you do. You, you know, you can have the best strategy. It's not going to work. Then your purpose. What is it that you're working for? Right. right. If you have the right people and they feel they have purpose within your organization, you're going to see a lot of productivity. You know, they're going to be more engaged, um, which is a positive thing, right? Morale goes up, all the all those things that we want to see. And then performance increases, right? So all those things, the right people that are there for the right purpose, they're going to do what they said they're going to do. And you're going to have amazing performance. And the rest is just going to kind of take care of itself um, in the long run. And, and you have a solid foundation to build upon from from right there. People, purpose, performance. 
Yep. I get it right. I, those, are, those are my big three. Normally I have pins here and I'm taking notes and I just realized halfway <laughs> through what you were saying, like, I don't know where my pins are at. So that's, that's the state I'm in, in this move, but it's all right. You're moving. No, it's I no, get it. No big and deal. So Sean gets to live through my move with me here, but people purpose <laughs> performance. I do like that. Uh, you mentioned the vision statement and, and, and you said everyone has one, but and I think you'll agree with this. A lot of people don't even realize what theirs is, or it's it's something that hangs on the wall and collects dust, you know. And yes, no, maybe so. Do you think it's an integral part of every department out there? Is what I'm asking. Yeah, I, I think it is, and you know, um, it's something that's easily overlooked. You know, and, and I don't think it's ever done on purpose. Right. Okay. There's just, there's just so much that, that goes on within organizations these days that, you know, we're expecting people to wear multiple hats and do multiple things. And then like, uh, there's the whole politics that you have to play with everything. And, and I respect a fire chief, um, so much more when, they, when they have the gumption to just stand up and say, no, this is the fire department. This is what we're going to do. And this, this is why I put this up. There's a constant reminder. And why I say that's important for me is, some people don't put it on trucks. Some people don't put it on their shirts, but we need to be putting it where we can see it. Oh, hundred percent. No, I hope you know, I didn't come across that. I was doubting that I was. No, 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 no. Okay. Okay. No, you're good. No. I, yeah, I, no. I, I think that it's just something that's not instilled from right. day one. Like when, when we bring people into our organization, it should be like an indoctrination. You know, you talk to any, anybody who's served time in the military, there's a whole indoctrination process of the way things are and why they're done this way. And I'm not saying that we don't do that in the fire service. I think we just need to do it more. So throughout like an orientation process, when you bring people in for the first time, they, they really need to be, you know, instilled with that mindset. Like this is our vision statement. This is why this is the expectations that I have for you. Not just welcome to an organization. Here's your one year probationary period. I hope you do well. Right. Good luck. You know, hope and, it goes good. Hope you don't drift towards failure. Yeah. yeah. And you know, when, when people like that come in or I'm not, they're met with maybe some disgruntled members of the department or whatever, um, who truly have kind of lost their way. Don't really know why they're there anymore. Right. So having that for that young recruit, um, to come in and say, okay, I don't know what this person's deal is, but this is why I'm here. And I'm going to make sure that I uphold this part. You know, sure. that's huge. Oh, it's huge. Massive on, on the trajectory of not only that person's career, but the trajectory of the department and the department's culture. And so, um, I'm going to hit you with some, uh, Scott Thompson, first of all, which he came in and said, are y'all talking culture tonight? And said, "Never mind," because I think he realized he came in right in the middle of the culture conversation. Uh, Pablo <laughs> hit you with good and all caps, good or bad. Everyone has culture. Which one do you have? And that's that's a great point. And uh, not to cut you off or no, anything, no, I just, run, with I just it, run with it. I just want to address that right there. Good or bad. So we got to understand that, like, good or bad culture is the trump card. Right? It exists. That, that it exists. I mean, that that's really the thing. So. Um, it's really up to you what you want to exist within your organization. And we have to understand that there are organizations out there that will fight for a toxic or negative culture mm -hmm. because that's just the way it is for them and they don't want to do anything different. And there, on the other side, there are uh, cultures that are open-minded to change. So when, when we talk about that kind of stuff, um, it kind of opens up another box. 
but what what really we need to keep in it's not what you're fighting against it's what you're fighting for for and, and that's really where we need to keep our focus you know nice. we tend to fight for a lot of things you know and we fight for stupid things in the fire service to be honest <laughs> you, don't like, say. <laughs> you know what i mean like ultimately whatever you're fighting for make sure it has purpose like everyone's got an opinion and that's fine but does it have value it has value and it's going to improve your performance and it's going to make us safer or, or whatever your objective is, then yeah, it's, it's worth it. But if we're just having a dispute and you're just going around changing things because you don't like them and it's your personal opinion, that may not have a good benefit right. for your entire organization. You know, and we talk about something like change capacity. This is where people get confused with everything is how many departments send out memos after memos after memos, a ton of them, right? You can be memoed to death and you don't even remember which one you read. Hey, it's hanging on the board. Go read it. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And you're like, oh, when did that change? Oh, it was in Target Solutions. You didn't get it? No. (laughs) You know, (laughs) what I'm saying with change capacity is we got to be careful not to overload our people because I don't think that people intentionally do the wrong thing. It's just that they don't know they're doing the wrong thing because last they checked, they're still trying to process and put into place what they were told to do last week. And then you went and changed it because you didn't like it anymore. You know, and, and that's, that to me is, is a huge, uh, contributing factor when it comes to halting our progress. Nice dude. Uh, no. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, my mind's going a, a million miles as you say that stuff. Cause I think about, there's a book that I've literally been reading for like a year and it might've been Scott Thompson who made me re- or told me to read. Maybe not. Don't quote me on that, but as diffusions of innovations, which is one of the most difficult reads. That's the reason it's taken me like a year, but it talks about the, the implementation of change in an organization or in a culture. And it, it, and, and everything, what you're talking about is just spot on with all these, uh, all these things. Uh, so anyway, sorry, a rabbit hole in my own brain. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, the, the other thing I want to bring up about culture, you know, when, when we're talking about like it being the Trump card is you gotta be careful what you read because that kind of stuff, is designed purposely to attract people to an organization, right? Okay. So understand that what you read and what's actually occurring can be two very different things, right? So the only way to truly know culture is to experience a part of it, right? My department will have a different culture than yours and, and so on, right? So really, I think what we're after when we're doing that is we, we don't want to imitate other people. We still want to be our own, but we want to enhance our best characteristics I like that. and you know so i think me, that's going to take you let me question you because you say be careful what you read are you talking about like social media wise like facebook posts from or, or what are you saying as far as be careful what you read yeah so i'll put it this way you know sure. and, and pablo know what i'm talking about pablo and i for a long time we had the um central florida fire tactics page and long before i met pablo he was doing very well with that and that particular page, what he posted and what he put up drew a certain crowd of people to the organization he worked in. Once they got there, what they were experiencing versus what they saw were very different. And that was no fault to Pablo. Sure. You know, Pablo is posting his passion and his beliefs and like what he feels is necessary to be a fireman and, and the way we should be behaving and, and taking care of your tools and all those things. And right on. obviously people are like, that's great. They found out where he worked. They gotcha. instinctively. Okay. No, that makes complete you're, you're, sense. Yes. Yeah. So they're like, I'm going there because, you know, he works there and look at all this stuff. Right. And then what, what happened over time is when they got there, they pulled Pablo aside and they say, what? Hey, man, we came here because of Central Florida Fire Tactics. And 
this Pop- algorithm's off. <laughs> I get it. No, I could, I could, <laughs> you know? I could completely get that if someone came to my department based off Firehouse yeah. Vigilance's post. So I right. completely so, understand what you're saying. So we have to throw a disclaimer out here. Hundred percent. You know that. Uh, you know these these are our views and our opinions, and by no means, you know, does that mean that what we say or do is one hundred percent what's happening within our organization? Because hey. Every organization's got stuff they need to fix. There ain't no such thing as a perfect one. That's 100%. Um, so. And, and, I, and I, I'll get to that point in a second. I'm going to catch you up one more time. Uh, yep. Scott Thompson chimed in and said, on the other side, great cultures with purpose attract great people who are elite performers. And so, yeah, that's that self-feeding cycle. That's that Ouroboros, that snake eating itself, is you can yeah. just keep on building on it. Mark alone oh, said yeah, yes with five S's. So I'm pretty sure you made a good point at some point back there. Uh, I'm rambling. (laughs) No, you're awesome. Robert Ramirez (laughs) said, preach bro. Successful organizations understand that the best form of risk management is a healthy culture and therefore place focus on their people and not just on things. That is really well said. Uh, Tyler Whitfield. Awesome stuff. Sean. Uh, Tyler Whitfield said, and not be afraid of firing someone who doesn't uphold this or isn't going to continue that culture and tradition. That's that, that can be a tougher one depending on the department you're with. Uh, sure. Sure. And, and I think people, you know, we got to realize too, like I, I, uh, I read this book, it's called culture wins. All right. And in there, they were talking about a, a time period, you know, we give one year for a probationary period. But realistically, it should take 90 days for somebody to hone in on their skills and know exactly what it is that they're supposed to be doing. And you as an evaluator should know within that 90-day period, this person is either something I can work with or it's something that I can't. And then you make the call. But what we tend to do is we we tend to drag them along, hoping that people are going to get better. Something's going to change. Um, yeah. Something's going to change. I'll they have a whole year. The doubt, maybe? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, whatever this, what the case is. But the once you hit that year mark, hey, I'm off probation, and we just kind of forget all about everything. Now we're stuck with a 25 year problem. Right. Right. So, I, I do think that that although the the year is is good, that at some point in that year there needs to be an evaluation of, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you this: you have a year, you're at your 90 days, you're not cutting it. You got 30 more days, and if there's no improvement, I'm just going to let you go right now. I, I'm just going to tell you that. Hundred um, percent. Instead of saying. Oh, I, I think they'll get better in six months. Sure. Uh, now, is, you know. with the amount of, uh, I don't know, what when a municipality invests that much money into a guy, are they just trying to make their investment pay out? Is that something that just plays into it? Well, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because when you look at the overhead that a department has from turnover, that can be upwards to like six figures. It, it's, tre- it's tremendous. And think about it from our thing. We have bunker gear, we have benefits, we have, you know, workers comp that we got to pay. We got all of these things that we pay in for one person. So if they don't cut it and we just cut them loose and send them on their way, then we've got to hire somebody else. We've got to get them enrolled in benefits or a pension or whatever. And we got to spend time to, to retrain them and get them caught up. You know, so it's this cycle that can easily turn into a money pit. And I think that people who pinch pennies, are, are looking at that and going, well, I, I know that he's not exactly maybe what, what we need or what I want, but if I let this person go, it just costs me X amount of dollars and it's going to cost me X amount more to hire somebody else to replace them. And, um, you know, I, I don't deal with budgets right. and everything like that. That's, that's just my, my take on it. Um, but I do think that, that 
may be a reason why we don't just cut ties sure. when we need to. Sure. No, 100%. All right, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Dude, you're getting a lot of responses. Formal mentoring, Scott Thompson said, plus formal mentoring is the quickest route to a chosen culture. And so I can't argue with formal. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, what, what he's talking about there could be summed up simple. We become what we accept. Plain and simple, right? If we're going to accept that we don't have mentors in our organization that are going to take these people under their wing, and we're okay with that, and we don't pick the right mentors, then you can't fault anybody but yourself for the reason why your culture is what it is. No, and I think that's the formal, 100% in his formal mentorship and that recognition. All Mm -hmm. right, I'm going to try this one, Shane. This is from Shane Bentley, okay? And it's not quite a pun, but it's got a lot of quotation marks. So he says, (laughs) take this chance, okay? Build your culture with a crew-first mentality. Resurrect that mission with a citizens-first training mindset. Set the example of what first-do-firemanship looks like. Simply do your part and take this chance to be a bearer of the oath and live with the fire inside of your firehouse vigilance. So <laughs> that took a lot of thought. That did right, take a lot it? of thought. So if you can identify each person behind each thing, then uh, there's oh, bonus well, points see. for somebody. Oh, there's there's Shane and Lee, and then there's obviously you and uh, Mark alone. Uh, you got Chris Kessinger from Crew First or uh, from uh, Citizens First, and you got Jeremy Sanders from Crew First Culture. And there's a whole list you're of people you're in there. It out, man. Mission Resurrection, Danny Dwyer, Chief Edwards. You know, just awesome. I would, he went down that whole list, man. He go max points. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mark alone says sometimes people are scared to eliminate problems because they feel they won't be useful or necessary without something to fix. Hmm. Speaking of, yeah, sorry. I can see that. Crew first culture. Yeah. Speaking of him, says Shane Bentley. Ha ha, love it. All right, brother Shane Bentley. Pablo comes back in and says, "Culture. This is back at you. Culture starts with the station officer as soon as he or she sets the expectations with members." I believe the expectation should be done not only when new members come in, but also quarterly for his or her crew. That way, expectations will never be in doubt. Who quarterly? I like quarterly. Because I try to do so, like just an annual, but go ahead. Yeah, no, so he, he's spot on there. And it's, it's, it's funny that he mentions that because that's what we do in my department. We have evaluations. Um, and it's a whole sheet. And you don't know what's on that sheet. You know, our deputy chief will take you downstairs and he'll say, okay, uh, he'll pick something off. He'll say, tie me these knots. Okay. Oh, wow. Hey, throw me this ladder. Like, how much hose is on this truck? You know, what what uh, PSI does that nozzle flow at? Like, whatever the questions are that he has on that list, you don't know. It, it's totally like just, hey, come downstairs with me. Boom, there you go. Hey, get your bunker gear on in 90 seconds or less. You know, the proper way. So... We do that every couple months, you know, uh, so there's a starting point. Yeah. And I love it because it's that gut check that you really need, you know, and it's really humbling when you think you're, you're at a certain place and then that happens and you realize, oh man, maybe I'm not there. I got some work to do and you have to be okay with that. Right. A lot of people get pissed off and they're, oh, this is BS. Like this is crap. Well, when you're talking about being a senior fireman and you've been, you know, with an organization for 14 years and you can't do simple fire recruit stuff, but yet you're tasked with training newer members of the organization. That's a problem, right? That's a huge problem. So having everybody on the same page at like, Hey, this is going to happen. You better tighten up and be on point 
I think that's like a self accountability thing. And uh, it really, really does make a difference. How is the, uh, just, just picking your brain on this thing. Cause I love it. Uh, whenever you do fail, like he says, do these knots and you do fail. How is the remediation or the, the, is it, is it strictly up to personal accountability? Is it, is failure embraced as a chance to learn type? Yeah. So we, uh, we're blessed, you know, our, our chiefs have a good mindset and, right. and they just want everybody uh, to be good. Our chief, you know, when you hear the city of Venice, his vision is that like, they're like, Oh, thank God Venice is here. Right. You know, like that's what he wants for us. And, and he strives to maintain that all the time. So usually the first one, is like okay this is this is where you probably should be you were somewhere around here like now you know what you have to work on but there's no excuse if if you get tested on that a second time and you're still deficient there's going to be a problem there's there's going to a conversation will take place i promise and uh you know that that's coming from a chief level and then if you go like my battalion chief my battalion chief goes to fire conferences all the time you know my battalion chief runs uh, yeah no it's it's great like I love it because he's all over the place and, and he's got his own bags. He puts them in his battalion vehicle. You know, he's got his through the lock bag. He's got his own New York hook, his own nice. set of irons. You know, he's got all of these things that are his personally and everybody kind of laughs at him because they've come downstairs with bags of stuff, but he's prepared. You know, there, there's no question. If you need something, Chief Blanchard's got it, that's you awesome. know? Yeah. And that's his expectation for the crew. You know, Hey, we're going to train. And you're going to be this good, right? And if you're not, we're going to have a conversation and we're going to get you there, right? But you will not work on this shift if you don't meet these expectations, period. So um, he does have a high level of accountability for himself and for us too, which, again, yeah. really drives the culture in a positive direction. I, absolutely, man. When, when you set the bar with your own personal example, how, what, what more can be said? I went to a training yeah. uh, this week, last uh, Tuesday, and it was medical mayday. Dave Mellon taught it at, at a fire department, Metro fire department here. And, and the, the BC with his white helmet was out there fully bunked out on air, doing the drills with the guys, stripping the, stripping the cats coming out of the, the mayday out of their bunker gear to do CPR. And I asked the training officer there and I said, Hey, is this a, is this a normal thing with the white helmet out there doing? And he's like, Oh yeah. And I'm like, that's impressive, man. Well, he's not standing back yeah. in his white shirt. You know, well, I mean, that goes back to the whole thing, right? You can't lead anybody further than you've led yourself. Right on. Period. And Chief uh, Frank Viscuso says it the best. Like, um, a leader of one could become a leader of many, but if you can't lead yourself, you never lead any. Right on, man. And, I mean, that that <laughs> how, how do you follow up with that? I right. mean, that, that is so direct to the point and just in your face that, hey, look, man, you can't expect people to do things that you're not doing, plain and simple. And if you're asking them to do it and you're not right there behind them, then, you know, expect that, to be called out. Yep, Wasting that capital, you know? man. Uh, yeah. This is a great problem for the scrap to have is I cannot actually keep up with all of the great comments. I'm trying to throw them at you. Okay. So I'm trying, if you guys can hit the like button on the comments that need to be read to Sean, let me know. Uh, Pablo says culture starts with the station officer. Yeah, I got that one. Okay. I'm catching up. Uh, Marcus Ohm. This is replying to Mark that you have leaders that are unable to because they don't know how or they are more worried about people liking them instead of doing their job. You may have to sacrifice friendship for the good of the department. What do you think of that? I, I think everybody wants to be liked. Absolutely. I mean, that's human nature, you know. But ability is of greater 
um, need for me than personality. I'd rather know that you have the ability to perform than just like, eh, he's a nice guy. I have fun talking right. to him. You know? No, 100%. To, to me, like personality can come later. I'll take the guy hands down every time that can do the work that I know can do the work um, and who's constantly raising that bar who might be a little weird and, and have some personality issues over the guy that everybody likes because he's the funny guy telling jokes at the kitchen sure, table. But can't, but can't you know? accomplish it. And, and it doesn't have to right. be a zero-sum game. My biggest problem is I have trouble differentiating between effort versus uh, results. Does that make sense? Like when someone gives great effort, I want to reward it even though they fall very short. And so for me, yeah. that's my that's that's a that's a part where I really have a tough time separating the effort versus the effectiveness. Well, I'll put it I'll put it this way: keyword you just said effectiveness. Now people tend to get efficiency confused with effectiveness. So if I tell you like you're efficient, some people are like, yeah, okay, that's that's what a minimalist mindset is, right? Yeah, I, I'm efficient at it. You know, I'm not good, but I'm not great. But effectiveness is. If I say, hey, take this line and stretch it to the fire, you know that you can estimate that stretch properly. You're going to take the best route of travel and you're going to make the best entry point given the situation that you're in versus, well, all you told me to do was pull the line from the truck to the front door and that's exactly what I did. So what's the problem? Right. I was was efficient. Yeah. No, efficiency is what we're after. Or I'm sorry, effectiveness is what we're after. Uh, Efficiency, that's a starting point. Great, you're efficient. Now we got to get you to. Let's get you to the point, especially where you can understand my intent and you can capitalize upon it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All right, I'm catching up, guys. Thank you for all the comments. I'm trying to get here. Oh man, that 90 day thing is so true. We waste so much time trying to fix people that don't want to be fixed, and that's from Mark alone. Very true. I agree with the 90 days as our recruit academy is nine weeks. And if six weeks in, you're not cutting it. I firmly believe that you have a couple to improve. And if you're not graduating recruit school and going to line to become that 20 year problem, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Um, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm Shane Bentley. Uh, this is Pablo to Shane Bentley. The real deal. I'd work for that chief any day of the week. I'm assuming he's talking about Blanchard. You said, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Chief Blanchard. And he's, he's awesome. I'm awesome. truly blessed. Really, really. Uh, and Pablo came in to just just capitalize on our point. I'm catching up here. I don't need a nice guy. I need six assholes that know how to fight fire. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least he didn't drop any f bombs. That's PG-13 over there. There. Okay. Is Pablo censoring himself? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right he on. is. No, this is good stuff, man. Again, I, I apologize, guys, if I miss some of your comments. Uh, it's a great problem for the scrap to have. There's just so many coming in. Um, I love asking this question, Sean, of, and, I, and, and anything you want to keep going on, don't let me cut you off, but is there something you have learned in the last 15, 16 years of being in the fire service that an 18-year-old Sean would laugh at and say, I will never be that guy or that will never be me? Something that's completely changed your mindset. Yeah, just, uh, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't throw anybody under the bus other than myself and – uh you know, this is something that Pablo and I talk about all the time when we teach is the perks of the job before actually being on the job. And, and what I mean by that is when I was 18, um, obviously I grew up, my dad was in uh, in public safety. So I was always around the firehouse. And uh, all I heard, you know, as, as a teenager and everything else was how awesome it is. You get to take naps, there's recliners, you sit in the chair, you watch TV, like you're just hanging out with all your best buds. Sure. And all that stuff. So in my mind, I'm like, man, that sounds that sounds great. It's the greatest job ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mean I can get paid 
to go in and hang out with my best friends, play video games, like do all these things. And you know what? I'll be honest. That's exactly what I did for the first couple of years because I didn't know any better. Nobody grabbed a hold of me and said, hey, man, until one time uh, on a fire, one of the guys that I was with pulled me aside. I was like, what the hell was that? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you mean? And that was the turning point for me of now looking back at it. Of We really have to do a better job of uh, telling people less about the perks of the job and more about the job itself right on. Uh, and what to expect. And we also have to, uh, man, we got to do something along the lines of when we're grabbing people, making sure they're the right fit, right? Nothing irritates me more than coming in and having somebody in a recliner who's retired and on duty. And what I mean by that is, they have 10 years, 12 years, 13 years, whatever, till retirement, but they're in retirement mode right oh, now. Yeah. And that's all they care about. Um, so for me, um, this job needs to be number one priority. If you're going to work for the fire department, you're working for the fire department. You're not coming to work at the fire department and sitting on your phone all day um, getting lawn care accounts, right? right? You're, that's not what you're there for. That's not what the citizens are paying you to do. And, and not saying that there's anything wrong with having a secondary job. You know, some people might need one, but you need to remain focused on your primary objective for 24 hours. You know, and if you can't do that, then I think you really need to question yourself of, is this for me anymore? And should I just move on to this secondary job, which takes up a lot more of my time than I care to give into firefighting? Right on. No, that's, and, and, not I, I worked under a culture that the and this is painting with very broad strokes because it doesn't it, I'm not trying to to paint everybody I worked with this direction but the culture was the person that the people the crew that could do the least were the winners and the crew that could get assigned to the slowest station were the winners you know what I'm saying and that was it was just the culture the way it was and there's been a shift since then. Uh, away from that. I d and I don't know if that's yeah. indicative of the entire fire service, but that was partly my experience early on in my career. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you bring that up because one of the things that I've seen is, well, why did you sign up? Like, why are you here? Right. You're here to, to run the calls. Otherwise you'd stay at home. So it boggles my mind when I hear people say, well, I get paid the same to well, go to a station and run one call. Tones go off or not. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, I get paid the same. Good. <laughs> I'm like, man, man, you don't want to go to fires or something? Like, what's what's going on? And you'll have new people. And when I say new people, I'm talking about people who have like come into the fire service for the first time, and they're so scared of putting themselves in that situation where, oh man, God forbid, you have to run 20 calls in a day. That would be the worst thing ever. So I'm going to put in a bid for a station where I might run one call every few days. Right. Well, you're just hurting yourself because oh. I know for sure you're not out there training, <laughs> right? Because if you cared about your job and you cared about doing the job, you'd be at the station that runs the calls so you can get the experience. So to me, I think that's a problem that we see now is that the younger generation, they're just lazy, you know, and I know that I'm not insanely old, but what I'm saying is you got guys that are coming fresh out of academy that have never even seen a fire before. And they're automatically thinking about going to the vacation station and that's their assignment. And to me, I don't think that should even be an option. Oh, you yeah. know, uh, but you know, we give it to them. And if you give it to somebody, they're going to take advantage of it. No, I, I, again, it comes back to that culture, whether it's chosen, uh, to use 
uh, Scott Thompson's words, the chosen culture or uh, the default culture, um, mm-hmm. you're going to have one. And if you allow your young guys to drift towards the vacation station, then you get what you get. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so tactics are local. I don't think anybody argue, is arguing that. Uh, but I firmly believe that culture is also local. And so that's one of the things that makes it tough to talk about is not necessarily tough to talk about, but tough to pin down when you're, when you're, when you're not enmeshed in the culture that, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And, uh, you could tie that back to your childhood, right? (laughs) You weren't raised the same way as your friends, right? right? You have different life experiences. Like maybe your family culture is different or whatever. You might live in the same neighborhood, but that doesn't make you the same. Sure. Right. So when you say local culture, I think, to kind of expand upon that a little bit more, like look at your department. For me, my state, my department is three stations. Every single one of those firehouses has their own culture. Subculture. Yeah. Yeah. And there's three different days. So how many cultures do you have within an organization? Really? You get the microcultures of the subcultures of the culture. Yeah, (laughs) you do. And you know, when you talk about size of departments and, and culture like that, again, just, just my opinion. There's definitely no data, I think, to support this. But just my observation is right. when you have a small agency, like we'll take mine, 64 members. Okay, you have 64 members. Generally, people know what's going on, right? And 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 you're able to kind of steer them in the direction you want a little easier than if you had 700 plus members. Sure. What, ha- what happens when you have larger departments is you get these like clicks of people that just kind of form their own separate agendas uh, that are very different than what maybe the fire chief or the culture in that department is trying to go with. And then they wind up fighting each other. Right. Right. And then that just kind of spreads further and further and further. So I think there's um, that's something we need to evaluate when we're talking about culture and it, it, you know, uh, being local. No, I like it. Okay. Catching you up one more time. Uh, I'll see. Okay. So we have Jeremy Mathis who said road in all caps, R O A D. I'm not sure exactly what road is. It might mean something to you. So I just threw it at you. Uh, nope. I'm not sure what he's, you have to, you have to clarify Jeremy. So Garrett Rice, (laughs) go ahead. I was saying maybe he's talking about hitting the road. I'm (laughs) out of here. Done with this. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Garrett Rice says we need to hire our kind of weird. I put his quotation marks on it. Our kind of weird. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, Jeremy you Mathis. Know? Never mind. I'm sorry, Jeremy. He actually clarified because I just realized it when I read this. Retire on active duty, R-O-A-D, road. There you go. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. That sums it up right there. My bad. I, I'm not good at reading the next comment <laughs> down. Uh, Mark alone <laughs> said, put those people at the busy house. They will run themselves off. And then finally, Pablo said, same as the it's not my emergency mindset. God, dude, Pablo, dead on with that. When people say that, it drives me crazy. That's not my emergency. Fuckers yeah, love yeah. to wear a t-shirt and get a free coffee. And he forgot to censor himself, so I'm, I'm reading here. Uh, <laughs> get a free coffee at gas stations but are not willing to do everything they need to do to earn that thank you or cup of coffee. And then yeah. finally, last one, and I'll get, we'll get back to discussion. I love how Sean says, members. Now an old school te- term for me- many employees are there for a check. Members, however, are part of the organization. Words matter. Absolutely. You know, it's how you say things can be very different than what you say. Oh yeah. Right. So uh, we definitely need to be 
cognizant of how we choose to deliver our message, especially with our culture. And, and I'll, I'll bring you to this and then we'll get back onto the, onto the discussion is if you have somebody who religiously doesn't put their, their gear on the truck, they show up after eight o'clock in the morning, it's nine o'clock, maybe nine 30. They're not putting their gear on the rig until that first call comes in. Um, how you approach that is going to make the difference, whether you have that individual have a change of heart or if they just want to say, okay, whatever. And now you guys butt heads continuously, sure. right? Um, Chief Edwards says it the best, um, changing minds requires changing hearts. So if we're going to try and like implement or change anything in our culture, it's very, very important that you deliver that message in the way that it's understood and it's clear, right? There's no misunderstanding there. You don't want to come ac across um, in a manner that's going to tune someone out of what you're trying to accomplish. Oh, hundred percent. And I, I, now I want to, I want to get clarification. I'm, I'm not trying to pin you down, but you're saying when you, how you approach that person for me, when the gear gets on the truck is like the company officer has to set that expectation of when that's allowed. So Absolutely. Are you talking about some other member coming to that guy and saying, Hey, we want this to be better. Yeah. So everyone's, everyone's like way of operating is different. Sure. Uh, so for me, usually it's a two man engine myself and my lieutenant gotcha. right okay my lieutenant's very very good one of the first things that him and i both do together is put our stuff on the truck and we check it out together and then we talk hey how's your family how's yours like you know we have those conversations while we're doing that right on but there may be a time where maybe this the person that's on the truck let's say it's a three-man engine the officer's upstairs still drinking coffee hasn't put his stuff on the rig yet whatever the senior firefighter is like, yeah, whatever. I'm not getting to it. But you come in every right single day and put your stuff on the truck. Right on. Okay. That's when that conversation is like, hey, man, you know, we had a fire. And I was pretty much in my air pack before we left this station. It took you guys three minutes to get in the truck. Like, right. Don't you think that you could be out of the apparatus bay a lot more, like, uh, a lot quicker if you would just set your gear up ready for the call like you're supposed to do? Sure. You know? Um, so, and, and it, it falls back to complacency really. Like they may be so accustomed to doing that. That's that normalization of deviance that we always talk about mm -hmm. that. Like they've never been caught with their pants down doing that yet. So it just takes that one person with courage to speak up and say something to no, change absolutely. the whole course of that. Okay. I like that. I like that. I'm sorry. I have to dig sometimes and I'm making sure I don't get it wrong. All yeah, right. No, you're good. Uh, I always like to ask if, my guest has a book that they think firefighters should read. I have a list going on Facebook that you can go and click on. And there's Amazon links to every book suggested to a certain point because I am wildly behind on catching up all of the suggestions. But Sean Duffy, do you have a book? Do you think firefighters should be reading? Yeah, I'm actually reading it now. It doesn't have anything to do with the fire service, uh, but it's got great, great points. Uh, it's awesome. called do the, do the work by uh Steven. Was it Pressfield? Stephen Pressfield. Pressfield. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's, it's talks about resistance and how we overcome that. You know, whenever you set out to do something, there's always going to be some type of resistance and it's going to come in all different forms. Nice. Maybe it's going to come from your friends and family. Uh, maybe it's going to come from a workplace, whatever it is. It talks about how you overcome that and how to have the, the mindset and, and certain things that we need to be putting in place and understanding so that we could be successful. And, uh, some of the stuff it talks about is planning. 
So it kind of ties really well into that culture when we're trying to implement things or maybe design stuff. Um, We really need to start at the end and then work towards the beginning. Because if we know what our end result is, where we want to go, then we can start putting plans in place from that point, working backwards. And by the time you get to the beginning, you'll know exactly how to implement this and how to do it. And uh, I, th- I thought that was a really good point in that book. There's a lot of them, uh, but it's it's really, really good. Um, kind of get you out of the fire service mindset sure. and more into a you know personal, like, how do I manage myself? So do the work, I, that's what I like about it. Do the work by Pressfield. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome, man. Hey, I'm, I'm constantly getting books added to my to-read list, and my to-read list has never shrunk since I started doing the scrap. So <laughs> I will, I may never catch up. That's, that's the point. Uh, that's good. That's awesome, man. No, I love it. Okay. So I do a thing on the weekly scrap every time and it is the five questions for firefighters. Um, the points are arbitrary and it's completely up to your opinion and you don't even have to defend your choices. So <laughs> Sean Duffy, are you ready for the five questions for firefighters? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's um, do it. Let's do it. Okay. Here we go. Question number one. <laughs> What is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? Uh, I think for me, it's staffing. Staffing. One word answer. Well, I mean, staffing, staffing can lead to other things, you know, staffing can lead to frustrations, which leads to poor morale or whatever. But ultimately we're being asked to do a lot with a lot less these days. And um, because of that, that is a huge issue because if, if you don't take it upon yourself to know that, all right, so I only have two guys on my truck, but I still have to do the work of four or five. I have to train that way so that we're, you know, making an impact and we're, we're doing things the proper way, then um, we're going to fail. Hmm. We can't just accept that. Hey, this is the way things are today. Right. right. So that's why, that's why I say, I think it's a number one issue for me anyway, is people are just accepting staffing as, Hey, that's the norm. And they're not looking past that of, okay, that may be the norm for now, but I have a lot of work I need to do so that I can perform the way that I need to. So the answer isn't just nothing we can do about it. That's what we got. There's nothing we can do about that. The, the, I love this, man. I really do love this. Is This is what we are going to be having on this fire, so let's get good at it. Yeah, regardless absolutely. of whether it's the way it should be or shouldn't be, we're not talking about that. Is That's what's going to be showing up when the tones drop. Yeah. Yeah. You, love you know, I mean, that's... That's the reality we face, unfortunately. So. Not going to lie. When you said staffing, you were not going to get max points. But once you explained it and I agreed, max points. So very <laughs> good. <laughs> it's very hard to do. Uh, number two, what is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? Oh, man. All right. So bear with me. <laughs> okay. I, like, one, I already like one, this answer. <laughs> the one thing that I am most excited for is what's going to happen in the next generation or so with all of these fired up members coming in who are hungry. They want that knowledge. They they're, you know, going to these conferences, they want to implement positive change. They just, those are the guys that we need. Right. And we're going to be in a time where we're going to have a mass exodus. Right. Right. All throughout the fire service guys are retiring in, in large numbers. And this new wave that's coming in is going to be the new guard. And, I think they're already setting themselves up for tremendous success because when you look at who are at these fire conferences and, and who continually goes to training or is on shows like this, um, it, it's not guys that are getting ready to retire generally. Right on. You know, it, it's, 
It's guys that are being guided in this direction who are passionate and, and determined to fight for a better fire service because uh, they too are frustrated with, well, this is just the way it is. So when those guys get in and man, it's going to be amazing, they're going to start getting into those positions where they can affect change. Maybe they're going to be a company officer or a chief somewhere. That is going to be amazing to watch. Oh, there's no doubt, dude. That's that, that is a great answer because it just makes my brain think about the people like, the amount of information, like, you know, drowning in information, starving for wisdom, but the amount of information, and then you take those fired up people taking that information and finding that wisdom and then pushing it forward. And what is that going to look like, man? No, you spot on, dude. Yeah. That's a great answer. So question number three, best rank position to be in, in the fire service. Jump man. Jump. Backseat firefighter. Okay. I was like, what's the jump man? I don't know this term. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And no, the backseat firefighter for sure. That is the most fun. That's it. Period. So. End of discussion. Yeah. I mean, that's where you get to, again, these are just my opinions. No, absolutely. This is where that's all you, this is. That's where you get to do the most work, the most things, right? I mean, you could be catching a hydrant on one fire. You can be stretching line on the next. You can be assigned to search or you know, if you don't have a truck company, like you might be assigned to the roof and you, it, you, the, the ability to perform vast aspects of this job is right there in that seat. And, and I think that's the best seat in the house personally. hundred percent. dude. I can't argue with you. Cause I mean, when you talk about kicking indoors and saving babies, it is the backseat firefighter. <laughs> that's what it is. Man. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Number four, the best advice you have ever received. Oh man. Here's one for you. Don't change who you are for convenience. All right. And what I mean by that is I found myself being very, very frustrated um, because I was, I'm a certain way. You know, I have my certain beliefs and and things and my certain views in the fire service. And I was just getting beat from all directions. Sure. And uh, this, this advice didn't even come from anybody in the fire service, believe it or not. Uh, This, (laughs) this advice came from a family member um, who heard me talking about it on the phone. And when I hung up, they were like, listen, don't change who you are for convenience. All right. Because then you're not staying true to yourself and you're just submitting, right. You got to fight for what you believe in. And that's the problem is too many people, they, they get used to being silenced. And, and once they get silenced, their whole mindset and their whole behavior changes, Right on. you know, and I refuse to be that way. So don't change who you are for convenience. Mm-hmm. I like it. All right. I'll give that max points for sure. Number five, the final question, the five questions for firefighters. You have heavy fire and tenable space. So I'm asking searchable versus survivable guy. Would you rather <laughs> be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Oh, that's a no brainer. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the window. Okay. First in VES all day long. <laughs> if there's a search to be made, I want to do it. All right. Fair enough. I, I, I thought it was a no-brainer considering who my guest was today, but I was not 100% sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've had a nozzle in my hand a lot of times, and it, it's fun. It's a blast, and I'm not taking away anything uh, from people who, who like that, but, man, searching, to me, that that's the job I want every right single on. time if I can get it. Like it. I like it. And there it is. The five questions for firefighters, according to Sean Duffy. Uh, thank you, sir. Excellent answers. Uh, best place to contact you. How do people get in touch with you? Book a class. Anything you have coming up. Anything you want to plug, basically. Go. So the best way to, to contact me is either through our uh, 
Facebook page, the Build Your Culture Facebook page, or my personal Facebook page. Um, shoot me a message on there. I'll get back to you. Um, we do have an email. You can either email me, uh, which is Duffy558 at gmail.com, or you can email the page, which is buildyourownculture at gmail.com, either one of those. And then if, if you have to call me for whatever reason, you're more than welcome to. Just shoot me a message. I'll give you my number. Um, as far as things coming up, man, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I got up. some. <laughs> and we're coming off I 2020 guess, uh, where no one had anything coming up. It's like, well, just, you know, shoot me an email. But now it's like firing yeah, back up yeah. and it feels good. Now, oh, man, it's it's outstanding. I, I love it. Um, I do uh, some classes for Task Force One. They have an online training division. So I'll be doing two of those uh, this month. One is on culture. And then what do I got? One's on culture. And the other one is uh, on mindset. Nice. Um, so we got those coming up. February, so Orlando Fire Conference will be uh, with my good friend Joey DeVito and his company uh, Tick Tips doing a thermal imaging class there. Um, you know, lot, lots of stuff around the country. So that is awesome. And I'll, I'll I'll post it up there. You know, I don't want to go on this long list, sure. <laughs> but I uh, I will post it up on the Build Your Culture page for anybody. And then uh, if you want to get involved with anything that we are doing, uh, by all means, uh, let me know and. And we can book a class for you or, or do whatever you want to do. So that is awesome, man. No, that's cool. And it's good to hear people getting fired. I mean, getting stuff lined back out and happening, man. It needs to happen. So, oh, yeah, it does. That is awesome. Okay. So, coming up on the scrap, I'm going to try and look. My whiteboard is actually sitting on the floor back here. I've got Andy Storms and Howard Reinwald are the next two guests. I'm not even going to try to read the rest of it. So, next week is Andy Storms. After that, Howard Reinwald. So, it's looking to be a next couple good weeks. Um, I think it's awesome, man. I, I, I feel like we didn't even touch on some stuff that I wanted to touch on with you. Like You just said mindset. <laughs> no. I'm like, man, I wanted to ask you about some mindset stuff. But it was an unbelievably good scrap. I hope you'll come back in the future and we can dig into even more stuff. I'm going to catch you yeah, up absolutely. on the last of these uh, comments that people took the time to say. And uh, Shane Bentley said, I love resistance. It creates challenge. Uh, Nate Schuler said bearers of the oath. Hannah Elliott chimed in said, maximize your capabilities talking about the two man engine company, I think, and knowing what you're going to reply with. Uh, Mark alone said, Sean Duffy equals the future of firefighting. So that is a huge compliment from a huge dude. Uh, oh yeah. That, that was too nice of them. <laughs> and Mark alone <laughs> is a very nice guy. So, uh, Nate Schuler said driver when you said backseat firefighter and, uh, Dallas respectfully disagreed by saying drivers don't get to play. Uh, Nate Schuler <laughs> said Duffy is spitting facts, and uh, Nate Schuler then spied maybe on B shift they don't get to play. But uh, awesome work for uh, Shane Bentley said awesome work, fellas. I will row in your boats any day of the week. Thank you, Shane. That's a huge compliment. I know you meant it for Sean. And uh, 2021, Nate Schuler said let's go. Mark Alone said solid as always. Duffy kills it again. Strong work, brother. Sean. Dude, you are an unbelievably good guest. I had a I had a good time tonight. I'm gonna have to figure out some way to incorporate the comments more because I'm very bad at it, and it's it's really picking up. Uh, I I think it's Sean's fault, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of them, man. So I hope they didn't distract from you too much on your message. But man, you handled it. No, great. no, not at all. So not at all. Thank you, thank you for uh, having me on. And anytime you want to talk, 
you know, I'll we'll, bring we'll you get back. on this I thing. I promise you I'll bring you back. So it has been a good yeah, time. Sure. Thank you for being the guest on Weekly Scrap number 58. For everyone who with the questions and comments, thank you for tuning in. And I hope the tone stays silent. Unless it's burning, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.